We're going to turn to Acts chapter 12 and continue our study of the book of Acts. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak round you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish.
Lovely to see you all here. Uh, I've got some movies uh, that I want to flick through. This is just to warm you up. We're not going to stay here. Uh, but just some movies. To, uh, and what I want you to do is try to think what, what these movies have in common. So here they are. Karate Kid, Rocky, Cool Runnings. They're all great movies, by the way. Kung Fu Panda, Million Dollar Baby, Cinderella Man, Iron Will. That's, Iron Will, not many people have seen that, but it's, I love that movie. Uh, the Fugitive, Shawshank Redemption, Star Wars, Braveheart, The Firm. Geez, there's a lot of movies here. Aaron Brockovich. All right, and there's a summary. And you've you got to talk about what they have in common. Have a quick word to the person next to you. What are those movies? You know, all, all great movies. <coughs> So have you worked out what they all have in common? Movies? Yeah, oh, good one, Paul. I reckon you've set the bar pretty high, right? The movies. <coughs> Under, underdogs. Yeah, Dennis, yes. Uh, they're all about winning against the odds. And as I started thinking about this, I thought oh, basically every movie I like is an, an underdog story. Maybe it makes me feel good about myself and you know, hope, for, hope for even someone like me. But amazing how many movies are about the, the, the battler who wins you know, against you know, massive odds, hey, uh, who triumphs over adversity. Um, and I, we love underdog stories uh, and... I want you to notice in the Bible there are a massive amount of underdog stories. So shout out some underdog stories in the Bible. <coughs> David and Goliath. Yeah, I gave you a hint for that one. Yeah. Daniel and the lion's den. Yeah. So there's Moses and Pharaoh. Who can recognize the other picture up there? <coughs> well done, Darren. That's JL. Surprising unknown woman, we don't hear about her again, but she is the one God uses to kill Sisera, the warlord of the Canaanites. And she does it with that spike that she's about to drive through his skull. Uh, I didn't show you the next picture on the uh, kids' Bible, but it's, it's a bit messy that time. Uh, all right, and so then you've got the baby Jesus against King Herod. Uh, any, any other stories come to mind immediately? Gideon, yeah, so a lot of the judges. My, um, my parents, uh, we, they read us a book about the judges and I can remember vividly Ehud, the left-handed assassin from Benjamin. And there he goes in into this big Eglon, you know, the king of somewhere, right? <laughs> Where is he king of? Anyway, Moab, is he? Yeah. And, and he goes to shake hands with his right hand but he grabs his dagger with his left hand and plunges it into the big belly of Eglon. And, and, and the guards are outside and there's this big stench and they're thinking, oh man, the king's relieving himself. And so then Ehud escapes while the, the guards are outside standing looking embarrassed about, you know, do we actually go in and help him or is, is he going to be... Right? Anyway... So, and they're funny stories, right? Underdog stories are funny because we see the great, you know, the, the proud, arrogant 
you know, kings and rulers and, and warlords are brought low. Uh, and the, the humble, the most unlikely heroes are, are come to the surface. Anyway, there's so many of them in the Bible. Now, why is that the case? Why does the Bible have so many underdog stories? Now, quick word to the person next to you. Sorry. Have a, have a word. <coughs> All right, so you got an answer? What, what, someone a hand up for an answer? Yes, Bob. So that God's power and glory can be shown off to everyone. So that, yes, yeah, so what the underdog story shows the power and the glory of God. Yeah. Um, I, I've put it like this we worship the God of great reversals. Um, God's power, as Bob said, is most clearly seen when he brings victory to his people against the odds so have a look at that little passage in 1 corinthians chapter 1 in your outlines because it's talking about you and me see what it says brothers and sisters think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards not many were influential not many were of noble birth but god chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him, uh, so that he gets the glory and so that we don't develop that proud arrogance uh, that is so wrong. Now, you know what this means? This means that no matter how desperate your life situation is, you are never beyond God's ability to turn it around. Now, how good is that? Right? So some of you are stuck in chronic sickness uh, or just depression, mental health stuff going on. For some of you, there's sin where you feel like there's no way back. Uh, some of you are just in broken situations where you, it's just hard to see light and hope in the midst of it. Um, but it could well be you are right in the place where God loves to show his power and turn things all around. Uh, and so I, just, I, I pray that this morning will stir your faith in the God uh, who fights against the odds, uh, for whom nothing is impossible, the God of great reversals, this is what he wants to impress on us today. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, will you pray with me? God, our Father, you know what we're all going through. For some, we are tempted to proud arrogance as if we are self-made. And we pray that even this morning you will teach us humble confidence and dependence on you and for some of us we are in situations that feel overwhelming and difficult where it is hard to see light at the end of the tunnel but father we pray that for us you will show us uh, that you are a god of the impossible that you love you delight to work in the midst of darkness to bring about hope to bring about life and resurrection uh, and so, Father, we pray that you will stir our trust in you even this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So here in Acts chapter 12, the first five verses set the scene for the rest of the chapter. We're introduced to Herod in verse 1. So this is Acts chapter 12. You've got to have your Bible open there. We're introduced to Herod. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So throughout this series in Acts, we've seen so many attempts of religious leaders and heavyweight people trying to crush this little movement of God's people, the early church. Uh, this time it's Herod, who was the, the ruler of the region of the Jews. Um, he called himself a Jewish king. Now, this is not the first time we've met Herod family in the New Testament. So I just want to remind you of the character of this family. So he's the great-grandson of Herod the Great. So Herod the Great's the first of the Herods we meet in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2. And he is the one when he hears from the Magi that a, a king has been born, he arranges for the slaughter of all, all the children in the whole region up to the age of two years old. Just a massive, a massive um, genocide of his own people just because of his paranoia that someone might get in his way of being king. Now, Herod had many wives uh, over the time. You can imagine with that sort of guy, that sort of man, uh, likes one, ditches her, or maybe has a few at the same time. He had many children, um, some of his sons he killed um, because they were a threat or they sort of uh, made him feel a little bit paranoid. There was a saying that you're better off being Herod's pig than Herod's son uh, because if you're a pig, well, he, he pretended to be Jewish and so he wouldn't kill a pig, you know, because you don't kill a pig if you're a Jew. But uh, if you're his son, well, there's, there's, you've got no protection whatsoever. Now, so there's, there's some of his sons. Um, and we don't just learn about this in the Bible. We learn about this outside the Bible as well, this, this whole Herod uh, family tree. One of his sons was Herod Antipas. He actually survived beyond his dad. Um, he was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Remember, he didn't want to, but he just felt... He'd made this promise, I'll give anything up to half my empire and Salome, his daughter-in-law or whoever she was exactly, she, uh, she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he goes, well, I can't let down my, the friend, my friends at the party. And so he produces the head of John the Baptist on a platter. He's there approving of Jesus' execution in Luke 23. Now, it gets pretty messy. Like, uh, this is only a shortened family tree. But one of Herod the Great's sons, who was killed by his dad, before he was killed, he married his cousin Bernice, and they had children. Uh, and their son is King Herod Agrippa from Acts chapter 12, right? So you can go and chase it down in your, in your own time. Uh, so that's who we meet in Acts chapter 12. And then later in Acts, we meet another King Herod Agrippa II, uh, and Paul will stand on trial before him. But um, what we see in the Herod family tree and King Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12 uh, sort of embraces this as well. It's corruption, immorality, 
It is a murderous, paranoid family, but very powerful in that region. Now here in Acts chapter 12, King Herod has the apostle James killed by execution with the sword. And he sees that that brings him popularity amongst the prominent Jews. So he decides to kill Peter as well. He has Peter arrested. He appoints 16 soldiers to guard Peter. Four shifts around the clock. Four soldiers on each shift. The odds are certainly against Peter. It looks really bad. It looks like this evil tyrant has won the day. It really... If you're thinking about Christianity at this point, you think, well, the Christian movement surely cannot survive this onslaught, you know, because it's, it, he's systematically taking out the leaders at the heart of the movement. But there's another key bit of information in setting the scene, and that is verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Just a small little detail that hangs there. But as the story continues, it will become highly significant. Um, the church could not match the physical might of Herod and his soldiers. You can imagine the church sitting there going, well, there's nothing else we can do now. All we can do is pray. Uh, and so they do. But from this point on, we see God at work bringing about this great reversal. So verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And so Peter follows him out of the prison. Um, Peter had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Have you had a dream like that? Uh, sorry, I have, I have a lot of dreams, not like Peter. I've, I've never been rescued by an angel in the midst of the night and then realized it was happening. Um, but I have lots of dreams where, and even sleepwalking episodes where it just, and it, where it just feels so real. I, 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 the blur, there's a blur between the reality of is this a dream or is this real? Uh, and it takes me a long time to get acclimatised. Um, anyway, I've got some stories that we, uh, me and my mum and dad can tell you later on, but I won't go into it now. <coughs> now, it's not until Peter is led to safety, you know, they're a block away from the prison, that he realises this is actually happening. This is not just a dream. Uh, this is an incredible escape. But it's interesting... You can't give credit to Peter. You can't say, oh, what a great man of faith Peter is. He's, he's, he's almost like an unwilling participant. He's just been carried along with this. Uh, it, it's a really a rescue of God, isn't it? Uh, it's not like Peter has mustered up this great faith that has brought him crashing through the prison doors. You know, it's God leading him out. Totally oblivious. Peter's totally oblivious to the reality of what's going on. Uh, but even the church is taken by surprise. And this is my favourite bit. Uh, verse 12. When this had dawned on Peter that it was really happening, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the door at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed... 
She ran back without opening it and she explained, exclaimed, Peter is at the door. In verse 15, they say, you're out of your mind. And when she insisted that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door, they saw him, they were astonished. Now, can you see the irony of what's going on? Here are the people who have been earnestly praying for Peter. They're worried about Peter. They're anxious. They know that he's in great strife. They fear he's going to be executed. So they're praying earnestly for Peter. But when God answers their prayer, they can't believe it. Um, And I think it reinforces that it wasn't the church ultimately who rescued Peter. It wasn't like their great faith. You know, they prayed, but the last thing they expected was Peter to escape from prison. Uh, so they, they'd, they'd even believe it was some sort of angel or a ghost before they could believe that it's, it's actually Peter in answer to our prayers. So did their prayer make any difference? Yeah, absolutely. God answered their prayers, but he answered their prayer beyond their wildest expectations. And this is because God is our loving Heavenly Father and he has things in control, but he loves to use his children to bring about his purposes. Uh, And this is why Jeremy and Miriam, they value our prayers. You know, because you think, "I, I can't do anything for them. You know, they're on the other side of the world. You know, it's so remote. We can pray to our Heavenly Father who is the mighty God. Uh, and he answers our prayer. Uh, and he answers our prayers not in a way that means that you know, we become arrogant or proud as if we're the great people of faith. He, he wants to instill in us a humble confidence where we go, wow, how good is our God? He is a mighty God. So this passage is a great reminder for us to pray, don't you think? How often does prayer just sort of slip off the agenda in your life? Um, so often, you know, I think, I think the pattern is we get distracted and there's, there's a million things to distract us in life, aren't there? So you, you start off a day, there's lots of distractions, the telly, the internet, other stuff that happens. We get distracted and then we get to a point where we feel time poor and we go, I'm, now t- I'm too busy, I just haven't got the time to pray. And we don't pray. Now... Just stop and think about that. Is, is that ridiculous or what? Uh, I, I know we're speaking about ourselves, you know, and so we're calling ourselves ridiculous at this point. But how ridiculous is that? Um, if we believe God is the one in control, then prayer is the most sensible. Prayer is the most obvious. Prayer ought to be number one priority. If we don't pray, like if we say, no, I'm too busy to pray, it's the same as saying, I'm in control here. God at best has an influence. But no, prayer is actually saying, I'm not in control, but God is. And I'm his child and I can humbly depend on him in prayer. So let let me urge us, brothers and sisters, to if prayer has slipped off the agenda for us, let's put it back in the centre of our lives as obedient children of our loving heavenly father he delights in our prayers and he answers our prayers so let's commit to personal prayer 
um, structuring time to pray, praying in those loose moments, you know, taking little opportunities to pray. Let's commit to prayer in our families, in our small groups, here at church, um, even after church, as we're talking, you know, we're sharing our lives together. Take the time to pray about those things. Um, the church in Acts 12, I want you to notice, they weren't super Christians. They doubted God, just like we do. The last thing they expected was their prayer to be answered. It wasn't because of their amazing faith that their prayer was answered. But at least they were committed to prayer. And God beautifully answered their prayers. Um, because... God is the God in control of all things and he can turn around a situation no matter how bad it looks. And we need to carry that truth deep in our hearts. So what God does is he rescues Peter, but that's only part of the reversal. At the end of the chapter, he completes the reversal by dealing with King Herod. So verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion amongst the soldiers. It's hard to know... <laughs> That seems like an understatement. They would be like absolutely petrified, mystified. Uh, anyway, they're just trying to work out what on earth has happened. You know, we were so, we were bolted to this guy. There was many of us. How did this take place? Um, verse 19, after Herod had made a thorough search and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. And you just go, what is, what is this proud, arrogant stupidity? And, and sadly, there are so many powerful people out there in the world who act like this. What Herod's done is, you've got Peter surrounded by guards, inexplicably ex escaping from prison. Surely Herod, the king of the Jews, ought to be asking the question, is the hand of God in this? Have I taken on a battle beyond my ability to handle it. How could a man as ordinary as Peter escape without a commotion, without the knowledge of any of the guards? But instead of humbling himself to acknowledge the possibility that God's hand was in this, he uses the guards as a scapegoat and has them executed to try to solve the problem. But God hasn't finished with Herod yet. So at the end of the chapter, Herod is addressing a crowd they start worshipping him as a god and God strikes him down. He is eaten by worms and he dies. I don't know how that works. Hey, eaten by worms and then he's died. But I, all I do know is last night, Ruth brings worming tablets and she says, here, have one of these. And she, I think she's been reading this passage and going, all right, okay, got to deworm the family. But uh, anyway... That's true story. Last night, I had a worm, worming tablet. Um, anyway, you read this story. You read this story about Herod dying, and you go, man, that sounds like a myth, doesn't it? It, it just sounds like a legend. But I want you to listen to how the non-Christian historian Josephus records the same event. It's in your outlines there. So Agrippa put on a robe made of silver throughout, a quite wonderful weaving, and entered the theatre at the break of day. Then the silver shone and glittered wonderfully as the sun's first rays fell on it, 
and its resplendence inspired a sort of fear and trembling in those who gazed at it. Immediately his flatterers called out from various directions in language which boded him no good, for they evoked him as a god. Be gracious to us, they cried. Hitherto we have reverenced you as a human being, but henceforth we confess you to be more than mortal nature. He did not repudiate them, nor did he repudiate their impious flattery. A pang of grief pierced his heart. At the same time, he was seized with a severe pain in his bowels. When he had suffered continuously for five days from the pain in his belly, he died. So there you go. So it's, it's one of those occasions, every now and then, you, you read a story in the Bible and then history or archaeology or whatever evidence we have outside the Bible just provides a beautiful confirmation uh, to the events that we've read. And here is one of those occasions. And the lesson is, Herod put himself in the place of God, so God took him out. God killed him. God showed who is really in control. And, verse 24, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You know, right when we thought it was all under threat, when it was going to be snuffed out, the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Herod may have looked like this threat, but God is the king. Nothing is going to get in his way of spreading the gospel and bringing people into his kingdom. God's purposes will triumph at the end of the day. True back then, it is true today. So I want to ask you, sort of as we wind up, I, I want to, um, I think we've got a little bit of time. I'm going to draw to a conclusion, but I also then want to spend some time praying. And if there are things that are uh, weighing on your heart, I want you to, uh, some of you might share them with us and I'll lead us in prayer for them in a moment. But I want to ask, do you, do you worship the God of great reversals? Is this the God you worship? Do you believe God can turn around even the most desperate situation? Now, Herod didn't worship God. Herod worshipped himself and was quite happy with other people worshipping him as well. Uh, Life was all about him and his world revolved around him. Herod would even murder innocent men to gain political popularity. He loved the praises of men. Now, as I look around, um, I cannot imagine any of us being power-hungry, paranoid murderers like Herod. Right? But you feel free to confess. Because uh, we can have our own session afterwards of uh, prayer and discussion. Um, it's not that it's, it's beyond any of us. We just don't have the opportunity Uh, Once you place uh, an average human being in a position of such power, uh, our our corrupt hearts just lead us astray, hey? And our desires and our desire for our own glory. Um, Now, just so, so there's no megalomaniacs like Herod probably here in this room. And yet, like Herod, we are tempted to worship ourselves, aren't we, rather than worshipping God. We are tempted to see ourselves at the centre and everything revolves around me. And when we're in a bad situation, 
we become consumed with stress and worry and anxiety and we become overwhelmed. And so often our emotional energy is used up worrying about stuff that is completely out of our control. And it makes us angry or it makes us frustrated or depressed when here's a situation I cannot control. And so often we have that whole turmoil going on and we don't bring it to God in prayer and depend on him uh, and trust in him. He is the one in control, not us. So let's not be tempted to into that sort of, that denial of reality where we think somehow I am in control and I'm desperately trying to rally things to my, to, to, to my good. God's the one who can do that. So, <clears throat> if we worship the God of great reversals, next slide, then we will pray. God loves us to depend on him in prayer. And when the church got together and prayed for Peter, even though their prayers were filled with doubt and insecurity, it's not how much faith you have, it's how much power God has to answer your prayers. That's the important thing. God can do the impossible and you cannot. So we must learn to trust him daily in our lives. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Here is a beautiful offer of our heavenly Father. Bring it to him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, we don't pray presuming on God for answers. So God rescued Peter from Herod, but he allowed James to be killed. And I, and I don't know why. Um, we don't always understand the details of God's plans. I haven't mentioned James much, but... James is okay. He's there with because he, he, is, he is the man who trusted in Jesus and the God of resurrection has raised James up from the dead and he's now at the right hand of God in heaven. Uh, so things didn't pan out badly in the end for James either, but we don't know always how God is putting the pieces together, but we ought never doubt his power and the way he delights to answer our prayers. Prayer is the opposite of proud arrogance, right? Um, Herod, proud arrogance. Prayer is about humble confidence. Um, a recognition that God is our Father. He delights to use us to answer our prayers in spite of our weakness, insecurities and doubts. So let me come back to that verse from Corinthians. God chose to the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. <clears throat> now, I'm going to lead us in prayer, but are there any things that are weighing on you that you'd like, to, that you'd like me to bring to our Father in prayer on behalf of all of us? Uh, just pop, pop your hand up if you um, have anything that comes to mind. While you're thinking, I'll share with you a couple of things that are weighing on me. Um, one is, 
I, um, it weighs on me that the region in which we live are so hardened to the message of Jesus. I know that people in our region desperately need to turn to Jesus. He is their only hope. But it just feels like it's, it feels like it's an impenetrable barrier sometimes. Uh, and so what, we, what I want to do is pray to God uh, that he will soften hearts, uh, gather people into his kingdom. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a couple more things and then if there's any more. So Jeremy and Miriam, right? I, I, I'm anxious for them uh, and for their children. And I think about, um, uh, I think about the Uyghur people and, I, and you just go, humanly speaking, what is the hope for the Uyghur people? You know, the Christian missionaries have been evacuated from that part of the world uh, and humanly speaking, it looks really bad. You know, many of the Uyghur people are being siphoned off into these re-education camps. We ought to pray for them, for the Uyghur people, for God's mercy on them, uh, for Jeremy and Miriam as they go into this new situation, learning languages, you know, the, all the fears and the doubts and the all the stuff that's way out of their control, let's entrust it to our Heavenly Father. And, and the final thing I want to raise, and then Haley's got something, yeah, um, is the ministry centre. Right? I've never done anything like that. So in a couple of weeks, we'll get the, the builders will come back. And I'm, I'm anxious because I, are they going to quote something that's just way out of our, feels way out of our ballpark? You know, things change with, you know, the, the, what do you call it? The building industry, all the changes. All, there's a whole lot of uncertainties that are out of my control, out of my comfort zone. Uh, and so let's entrust that to God as well. But yeah, any other things that you have that you'd like to bring to our Father? Okay, yeah. So just the, the increasing opposition to anything Christian within the sort of the public sphere. So it's trying to stop prayers in Parliament is one. Yeah, Hayley. Yep. 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 Okay, I'm just writing this down so I don't forget. Yeah, Gun Bologna uh, and our missionaries there, the Pearsons. And so Haley's just saying massive social dysfunction um, and just praying that now there's the New Testament comes into that. Uh, the New Testament's now been released in the local dialect and we pray for God to do his work. Yeah, building the church there. Yep, Dave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what a grief, especially when they don't, they're not holding on to Jesus and uh, turning to him. Yep. And Al. Yeah. And that's just within the area that 
Okay. So e even our, our local neighbours. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. And Bob. Yeah. Okay. All right. I might stop there. Look, there's lots of others uh, that are out there. Pray about those things with each other. But I'm going to lead us in prayer for these things that God has placed on our hearts. Let's pray. God, our Father, we live in a world where there is so much proud arrogance. Uh, there are so many who are hostile to you. Uh, there are so many who think that they are at the centre of the world and everything revolves around them. Father, we know that that is a temptation deep in each of our hearts. And so please bring us humble repentance and faith and trust in you. But Father, we see that expressed brutally, uh, tyrannically in when people in leadership uh, act in a way that is so proud and arrogant and self-centered and father we just fear the ramifications for the people under them so father we pray for the nations throughout the world and throughout our region who are increasingly under the threat of totalitarian rule and whose rights are being stripped away we pray that you will humble the proud arrogance of those leaders. Bring them down, just as you did with Herod, or bring them to humble repentance. Father, whatever way you want to bring about a result, we pray that you'll release from this tyranny uh, people who are under their rule. Father, we want to pray for the Uyghur people in particular. Father, we are just grieved about the way that governments have acted to oppose the spread of Christianity in that part of the world uh, and have just made it so difficult. But Father, what is impossible for us is possible for you. And we do pray that the light of the gospel of Jesus will continue to shine in that place, even more in the midst of the utter darkness that is in that society. We pray for Christians to speak and to testify and for your word to penetrate that part of the world, uh, for your church to grow. And Father, we pray for Jeremy and Miriam as they head to uh, Kyrgyzstan. Father, please bless them and their family, protect them. Please give them great abilities in learning language and we pray that they will bring the light, the hope, and the freedom of the gospel of Jesus uh, into that world that is lived under the darkness of Islam and false religion and oppression for so long. So, Father, we pray that you will bless them. Father, it feels such a small thing in such a big region. But, Father, we know that you are the God who does amazing things, the God of great reversals. And so we entrust that work into your hands. And Father, we pray that for our own region. Just we experience hard-heartedness and apathy towards the gospel. We know that the gospel of Jesus is the only hope for our society. 
We know that the gospel of Jesus is the only hope for our family and friends who we dearly love, who we dearly love, but are far from you at the moment. Father, we pray for them that you will have mercy, uh, that you will soften the hearts of our region, the hearts of our families, so that they will humbly turn to you and know you as their heavenly Father and know your forgiveness and hope uh, and mercy. Father, we pray for the community of Gumbalanya. We want to thank you so much that your word has now been translated into that language. And we pray that as, that, uh, as your word goes out, we pray for, uh, for the Pearsons, for Matt and Lisa and their family, but for other Christians there, that they truly will be a light, uh, that the gospel will spread and flourish in that place and that it will bring new hope and vitality to a community that is so um, dysfunctional, that, that, that has so many social problems at the moment. Uh, and not only hope for restoring society, but hope for restoring the future and resurrection and eternal life uh, and those promises. Father, we pray for our government uh, and... We just want to see uh, the freedoms to preach the gospel here in this place to be protected, and yet we see the erosion of that happening in our, in our parliament, uh, in our schools. Father, we pray that we will not fear, that we will not despair, that we will trust that you will continue to work your purposes, uh, even in the midst of what feels like great opposition. And we pray that you'll continue to uh, bring, bring your word deeply into our community and our society. And we pray, just as we take on this big project of a ministry centre, Father, we pray in coming weeks that you'll make the way for us to be able to press the green light and move ahead with the building. Father, we know that that's not the end game. The end game is we want to glorify you by proclaiming your son Jesus. And we pray that the ministry centre will, will enable us to do that uh, in a way that where we have presence amongst our society, where we have confidence in where we're going to meet. Uh, so we just place that whole process into your hands and pray for generosity uh, and open doors of opportunity. And we want to pray all these things to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.